This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusion. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. And welcome back. Mark Mirabella was with us. We're talking secret societies. Before the break, we were talking about the founding fathers and how many of them were Masons and whether, in fact, the formation of the United States was a Masonic plot. And you were talking about uh, how the vast majority of was it ministers did not support the revolution because according to the edicts of i guess saint paul you know it sort of went in rome not went in rome but render unto caesar right that kind of idea yes and of course saint augustine talks about the kingdom of heaven is in the sky we don't worry about what's going on here on earth very much now i I should also mention that you also earlier we mentioned lucifer lord of light um the revolution comes out of the 18th century age of reason, which was tended to disparage religion uh, and traditional thought. And the, it seems as if what the early Freemasons, and they still involved in this, they're talking about declaring war, if you will, on kings and altars. There's a secular aspect to Freemasonry that's often minimized today because they will take an oath to be a member of most lodges, you have to be a, a, not an atheist, but that could just be a cover story. Keep in mind, there's often uh, everything in, in secret societies and conspiracy theories, there's a plausible deniability. You can't always take things at face value. And the first rebel in history is, is Satan, who rebels in the Christian legend. He tries to take over heaven and is cast out with one-third of the angels. So uh, the idea is that in the 18th century, the ministers were thinking these rebels against the king are uh, on a parallel line with Satan. This is why they were opposed to it. Um, Hmm. So um, uh, it clearly is uh, demonic work in their minds. And the idea Uh, that Washington is laid out, Washington, D.C., is laid out uh, to resemble a Masonic compass. Yes, and in fact, uh, that's true. A French architect was planning the city, and you can see it all over the place. In fact, there's even more to it that's rather peculiar. Uh, a lot of it built later. Uh, people don't realize that the Washington Monument is actually an obelisk, which is from ancient Egypt type of structure, and that's a male fertility symbol. When the Egyptians defeated an enemy in battle, they would actually construct a model, if you will, of the female genitals, indicating these are the people we defeated, and the obelisk indicated we're manly. And by the way, the Egyptians typically castrated defeated enemies, just like they were taking scalps on the frontier in America. 
Uh, they used to take genitals. Um, hmm. So there, there's Freemasonic stuff all over the place. Washington, of course, is a famous portrait where he's dressed in Freemasonic regalia. Now, I should also make clear, again, this is, I think, not really widely understood what goes on. In the case of England, there's over 600,000 Freemasons. And for most of them, it's simply a social group. It helps them in business. It helps them make uh, economic ties. It's an opportunity to basically men to uh, network. But there are 30 upper levels. Now, to enter the lower levels, no Freemason will ever ask an outsider to join if he's following the rules. And an outsider has to ask a Freemason three times on three separate occasions. Now, the reason for the three, it appears endlessly in Freemasonic lore. The three ruffians, the three wounds. Um, so he must ask an, uh, a Freemason three separate occasions um, to join the Freemason. Now, incidentally, um, the first two times, the Freemason won't even re- reply. He'll divert the conversation. Now, after three, if he's considered a worthy brother, the person may then be recommended that you need essentially two supporters, and then the lodge votes on the member, and in fact, it's a um, private it's secret ballot. Sorry. Right, okay. Uh, it's a secret ballot, and they cast white or black balls. That's where our expression black balled comes from. Ah. By the way, there's a, there's a number of expressions we use that come from Freemasonry. On the level is a Freemasonic mm-hmm. term. Blackball is a Freemasonic term. And there's a million of them we're using in common. Uh, eavesdropper is someone who spies on the lodge. Um, uh, we're commonly now a first name that's becoming common in America and probably Canada's Tyler. That's a Freemasonic term. It's a person who guards the meeting. Um, now, um, and a, a square deal, that's a Freemasonic term as well. Now, if the person gets unanimous support among the Lodge members, he's in and he goes to the initiation. Now, here's the part I was the important part. Um, to go to the upper level, you have to be invited. You, there's nothing you can do. Now, there's three lower levels, one, two, three. But there's nothing you can do to get into the upper levels, they have to invite you to join. And it becomes really elite. And by the 33rd degree, in the case of England, there's only 75 members. And in fact, you can actually go in the 33rd degree. You can actually walk around St. James Square area of London, and there'll be this really kind of impressive building, which is the Supreme Headquarters of these upper levels, and it has this really kind of plain sign and says, uh, Supreme Consul, ring once. <laughs> I remember ah. sitting there looking at it as a graduate student. Now, here's the point about all this stuff. This is what causes, and again, I'm not attacking the Freemasons. That's not my point here. I just study what they have done. You have to be, to be invited, you have to be a kind of a team player. They don't want mavericks. They don't want troublemakers. They don't want whistleblowers. But if you're getting up to that top level, you're going to be guaranteed some really significant success. Um, and uh, so what I'm trying to say is the ordinary Freemason on the street is really unaware of most of this. 
Right, and right. And so what are they doing at that social. upper level? I mean, they're not playing canasta, for crying out loud. What are they doing? It's actually kind of curious. Uh, it's unclear what goes on. Uh, the building has all kinds of mysterious rooms in it. And uh, I think, again, it basically comes down to power. Um, I first got interested in secret societies when I was at the University of Glasgow because I, I noticed that everyone who was really important was a Freemason. Um, and, for example, the ordinary cop, uh, Bobby, on the street may not be, but I'll guarantee you the police commissioner, the equivalent in London, is. And um, so, uh, and by the way, I recommend to your audience, there's this film that's no longer even available, Ali, but you can find it on YouTube and so forth. Glenn Ford started in it called The Brotherhood of the Bell. Yes. And it really demonstrates how... Um, it's, it's, it's apparently based on the, uh, skull and bone, but it's, it demonstrates how it works. Um, Glenn Ford plays this character who joins this organization in college and everything he does, he succeeds. Every book he writes, he's, he becomes a psychology professor. Every book he writes is published and just praised to no end. Every promotion he seeks, he gets it. Every, uh, when he wants a tenure, he gets that. And then he's in his middle age, and he's asked to vote against a certain candidate for tenure. And he's explained to him, they tell him, you, really, you think you've achieved all of this on your own? It's the Brotherhood has helped you. And now you have to do something for us. And what he does is he turns on them, because after he votes the guy down, the man commits suicide, which is a bit much, but he commits suicide. And then he tries to oust them, uh, out them. And that's what the interesting part of the film, because when he tries to blow the whistle, they make him look crazy. Um, and they all laugh at him. And that's what we tend to use, uh, denial and ridicule. Uh, that's right, ostracized. That, uh, and and one, one fellow once suggested there's no such thing as paranoia. It's been invented by the powers to discredit anyone who tries to uh, uh, blow the whistle, if you will. Well, much the same as the word conspiracy theory was supposedly coined by the CIA and FBI to discredit JFK assassination. Uh, well, those who would debunk the uh, the Warren report. Anyway, we'll uh, take a, a time out here. Top of the hour. We'll come back. Hour two awaits. Much to discuss. Phone calls as well. Mark Mirabello, Secret Societies, here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Once again, happy Canada Day. And hello to everyone listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, AM 740, 96.7 FM here in Toronto. Hi to those of you tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. Those of you who take the show with you on your mobile device via the Zoomer Radio and Conspiracy Show apps. Those of you who stream us on our YouTube channel, Strange Planet. Those of you who stream us at zoomerradio.ca. Those of you in our live chat, welcome. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes. And I thank you for your fine company. 
Professor Mark Mirabello stays with us for hour two. We're talking secret societies and conspiracies. And uh, he is an author and professor of history at Shawnee State University. He served as a visiting professor of history at Nizhny Novgorod University in Russia. I butchered that pronunciation. He's appeared on the History Channel discussing deadly cults in a series called Ancient Aliens and in America's Book of Secrets. And he has appeared with Professor Noam Chomsky in M.A. Littler's Maverick film on freedom, The Kingdom of Survival. And he is uh, currently uh, working on a book. The working title is Secret Societies and Conspiracies. Uh, so we were uh, we were talking about the Masons uh, prior to um, the uh, the top of the hour. Um, you know, when we think of secret societies today, we think of sort of these innocuous fraternities. You know, the benevolent and protective order of Elks, uh, ro- almost like Rotary clubs. Uh, when did we start to think of secret societies as uh, being something more sinister? Well, actually, almost from the start. Now, I should mention that um, it goes back and forth. For example, at one time in the United States, uh, around 1900, 25% of all men were involved in some fraternal organization. And which is stunning. And in fact, when you get to the 1950s, you get, I don't know if you remember, probably you're too young for this, but the Honeymooners with Jackie Gleason. Oh, yes. Uh, in he, reruns, he I remember. Be, <laughs> yeah, he used to be involved with, the, I think it was the Order of Raccoons, and they would poke fun yes. of the grand mystic master, the secret codes, and it becomes laughable. But in fact, uh, see, the trouble is, and this is where the persecution comes from, and they're, they've always been attacked. If you go way back at any time, um, uh, when you have an exclusive group who they have secrets among themselves, uh, they're kind of an enclave subculture. They're going to be harassed by outsiders at some level. In fact, that's actually the root of anti-Semitism, because the Jews were perceived as this separate group. And yes. people said, well, why are you not intermarrying with us? Why are you having, you're not eating our pig meat? And they've been periodically had pogroms against them. In fact, it's pre-Christian. They, they were happening among the ancient Greeks and so forth. So any group, and the, the Romani, better known as the Gypsies, they've been endlessly harassed in their history uh, because they're a separate group. The, the Tinkers, uh, the tra- also called Travelers in Ireland, they wander around like the Romani, the Gypsies, and they've been harassed. So because they're exclusive, um it causes rage. Now, during the French Revolution, there were actually books published by a Scottish minister and a French scholar claiming, again, you mentioned the earlier question, uh, that the uh, Masons were behind these revolutions that were occurring, for example, in France and America. That's where the, the original charges come from. So it's right from the start. And, uh, incidentally, there's a great story. Again, I'm sorry, I tend to run on, I know, so sorry about this, but there's a great story. Uh, Masons tend to, some of them, not all, connect themselves to the Templar legends of the Middle Ages. And the story is that, uh, 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 Jacques de Molay, who was the last Grand Mason, was burned alive. The story is while he's being set on fire, a horrible death, He'd been tortured previously. They ripped flesh off his legs and stomach uh, while he was alive. 
he uh, called upon the King of France and the Pope at the time, who had attacked the Templars, uh, this is in the 14th century, to answer before God within a year. And both men were indeed dead within a year. And then fast forward to the 18th century, there's a story, uh, again, modern historians don't discuss it, they kind of ridicule it, that hundreds of thousands of people, this part is true, showed up to see the execution of Louis XVI, the King of France. He's taken to the site of execution in a dung cart that's used to haul manure. Mm. He's made to mount 13 steps to the guillotine. It's painted dark red, the color of dried blood. He was placed in the guillotine, the blade fell, uh, and then there was this cheer as the blade fell, and then a groan when the head comes off, and then the executioner lifts the head by the hair, and in decapitation, the head continues to move, the facial expressions. He says, behold the head of a traitor. And the story is a kind of silence when they saw the head of the king. And then someone shouted, Jacques de Molay, we have avenged thee. Now, incidentally, that's why a lot of Masons connected the Templar legends. And it continues the war on kings and churches. Uh, the idea that the Pope and the King of France destroyed the Templars, and they went underground and formed a secret society that later got revenge. Now, uh, so I think there's some amount of truth to this. Now, another oddity most people don't realize, um, and again, interrupt me if I tend to go on too long, um, the um, all modern revolutions, so-called, since 1776, have been basically atheist and anti-monarchy in nature, but especially godless in nature. Uh, the Americans have never been a Christian nation. A lot of people have become Christian. I mean, are Christians. But God never really appears in the Constitution, although there is a reference to the year of our Lord at the bottom. Um, now, oddly enough, the Confederate Constitution has God and slavery and free trade, but not the American. And every revolution, Russian, Chinese, French, has been opposed to the Church, churches, Christian religion. One modern one is the exception. That's the Iranian Revolution. Look how we're opposed to that. So right. I think there's only right. truth in this. Um, now, I wanted to get back to the Masons for a second, because you mentioned the number 13, uh, 13 steps that uh, Louis XVI had to climb. What is what is the significance of 13? I, I mean, I don't know if it's particular to Masons, but maybe other secret societies as well. What is it about that number? Yeah, that, 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 that pops up all over the place. It's quite intriguing. Uh, which is also curious because my, my name has 13 letters. <laughs> mm. so, uh, and uh, M is the 13th letter of the alphabet, so I mean, it's, it's like I'm tying this. It appears to be, um, this is the theory, because you have Jesus and the 12 apostles and so on and so forth. Uh, typically there's a leader with 12 followers. Uh, if you make balls of any size, uh, 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 pool balls, the ping-pong balls, the soccer balls, it takes 12 balls of equal size to hide one of the same size. And it's always 13. So we think that's the significance. And by the way, regarding M, which is always a mystical letter, in ancient Egypt, it's symbolized by the owl, which is the creature of the night. In legend, it could even see by day, it could only see by night. Uh, and you, you say M with the lips closed. Hence, it symbolizes mm. secrecy. 
So oh, um, um, this, again, is probably what the reference is to. You say that, well, you quote, actually, Manfred Adler in, from the Freemasons in the Vatican, that 90% of the secret news is transmitted via the media, in particular the press, by using, quote, coded texts and pictures. Uh, what did uh, Adler mean by that? Well, in fact, I think he may have gone a bit high on the number, but it's he's clearly on the money. Once you're aware of it, you'll see uh, powerful political figures and so forth uh, watch how they shake hands with another leader. Watch where they hold their hands during the photographs. Uh, again, every the, where you place your hand uh, can indicate a secret. Now, rather curiously, Bill Clinton would endlessly, in public speeches, although they never tended to show it, he would flash what to pious Christians are the horns of Satan. It's when you extend your index finger and your little finger. And you make a fist. Right. George Bush used to do that, too. George W. Bush. And he said, no, that was that was he was uh, showing his support for Texas at A&M University. (laughs) (laughs) Well, by the way, what's really curious is that so-called horns of Satan also means in sign language for the deaf. I love you. So Ah. you could argue. Remember, I said earlier, I think perhaps I did. But in secret society lore, there's always plausible deniability. Right. Uh, in other words, if someone catches you in doing something, you can always say, well, no, that just means, like you said, uh, Texas Longhorns or I love you. Probably in the case of Bill Clinton, he was probably saying I love you. There were some pretty girls in the front row. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> so, uh, um, but it, it, this, if, you, if you watch them carefully, you know what's going on. I received tests, examinations in college classes where – the student will sign his name in such a way that he makes a capital A look like a compass. Uh, he's hmm. sending me a message. He's a Freemason. Cut me a break. Uh-huh. Uh, and I remember looking at a property that I didn't purchase, but when I went up to see it, the builder, he gave me a third-degree uh, Mason handshake. Now, of course, I was younger and less, uh, shall we say, less serious than, so I gave him one back, even though I'm not a basin. <laughs> I was hoping for a deal on the property. I wouldn't do that today. I know too much about this. But I was hoping for a deal on the property at the time. Incidentally, I, I don't know if he made the same thing, but Charles Manson, the United States, in the 1969 murders, yes. um, he endlessly made Freemasonic gestures in the courtroom while he was on I trial. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And uh, he clearly was not a mason. He just knew what they were, and he was kind of playing with the judge and the prosecuting attorney, but um, he was doing it constantly. But back to your original point, these political figures, once you know what they are, and there's there's endless number of gestures you can make, how you stand, how you shake hands, how you wave to a crowd. Uh, That reminds me, Richard Nixon got in trouble in the 1950s. He was in Brazil and caused a riot. Because he made what Americans think of as the OK sign. Yes. Little circuit. Well, in Brazil, and oddly enough in Germany, that's a grotesque insult. You're essentially ah. calling the people female genitals. Okay. All right. <laughs> it caused, it caused I'm life. making a note of that. I'm making a note of that. <laughs> uh, so what is the purpose then of, of political leaders flashing these signs if... 
I mean, who are they flashing them to, and to what what are they trying to communicate? Well, uh, I should mention uh, again that within all, especially the male groups in particular, we forget there's an element of play within all secret societies. Typically, it's boys having fun, and um, uh, there used to be a group in uh, 17th century England called the Bugle Boys, and their secret password was oatmeal. Um, there are reports. Again, this will probably change because they're now admitting women in skull and bones. They actually were forced by courts to do this, curiously enough, and it'll almost certainly stop. There were reports that skull and bones, uh, the initiates had to lie naked in a coffin yes. and detail all their sexual activities from, frankly, masturbation and prep school on. Now, again, I don't think they'll do that with the women present. There are also reports that the skull and bones as part of their ordeals, robbed graves of skulls. And there have been reports they have Geronimo, President... I think that was Prescott Bush. Prescott Bush, who attended Yale, was supposed... That was the legend that he he went to Oklahoma and he stole Geronimo's uh, skull. Exactly. And almost certainly did. Although the press laughs at it. The New York Times ran a story about the lawsuit. One of Geronimo's descendants filed a lawsuit to get it back. And the New York Times, again, denial and ridicule. What kind of crazy thing is this? And by the way, there's another element. When you make the initiations really crazy, it gives plausible deniability. A uh, lot yes. of people can't imagine George Sr. or George Jr. or, uh, you know, these other characters, William Howard Taft, lying naked in a coffin talking about their sexual history. And they say, you know, this can't be true. Um, but it is. So, Again, with your original question, I think the reason they're flashing these symbols is not only to show um, that they're in these groups, but it's kind of ha-ha, and also people in the audience, there's a special sign of power. You see this powerful person is in your group, and it's, it, it tends to endorse the whole situation for them. Now, you mentioned Skull and Bones. And you mentioned President Taft and, and Bush and John Kerry and George W. Bush were both Yale students, both Skull and Bones members, I think, at the same time. Of course, they would uh, they would face off against each other in the uh, in the 2000 uh, election or was it 2004, 2004, I think. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was some question as to whether John Kerry actually won Ohio, won Florida, uh, but then he just kind of he just laid down and he didn't contest it. And everyone said, not everyone, but those of us that are sort of conspiracy minded, I suppose, said, ah, that goes back to their skull and bones days. They're both really playing on the same team. That's why John Kerry didn't contest it. I mean, what what is the purpose of skull and bones? I mean, is it like the Masons where it's about power. It's about getting ahead. It's about you know helping one another within that within that society to succeed. Well, in fact, uh, in some respects, they seem to be more, uh, at least in the United States context, um, more. I don't want to use the word sinister, but uh, the kind of curious traits. Um, what's curious about Skull and Bones? There's only been twenty five hundred members in its entire history. Number one. And again, they produced several presidents already and candidates, Supreme Court justices, and so forth. Uh, number two, they draw all their members from roughly 30 families, typically. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the same. Uh, that's why you have these Herbert Walker Bush names. They have 
These are families they're inbreeding over and over and over again. Um, when Prescott Bush got married, he married probably one of the wealthiest men, the daughter of one of the wealthiest men in the United States at the time. That's the Herbert Walker stuff. Right. Um, right. And in by the way, there's uh, I should mention this. Remember I said element of play. Um, secret societies are not really controlling everything, but they're often playing with the world. And it's often, um, in, in fact, sometimes it seems as if the powers that rule are intentionally sabotaging the planet. Um, it's really obvious what the problems are, but instead we discuss trivial issues. Uh, typically, now again, it's not trivial if, you're, if it directly impacts you, so don't get me wrong. But if you notice in the media, it's always basically just some social concerns, like who gets to use which bathroom and who gets to get married when we have these enormous national right. debts and we have wars and we have just extreme uh, squalid poverty. One of the most eye-opening experiences in my own life was in 1983 when I was offered a job at the University of Liberia. This was soon before the Civil War, so I was lucky I didn't take it. I was stunned as a young man the extent of the poverty in Monrovia. I mean, it was not what I expected, because the way the media covers the third world, you typically see some restaurant or hotel or right, Main right. Street. And um, I saw human bodies in the street covered with flies. I saw people living in squalid makeshift shelters. So um, it, it seems as if the world rulers are, are intentionally sabotaging us. And incidentally, um, regarding this, again, not to go on endlessly, but uh, the British Empire, for example, governed their African colonies in World War One, World War Two era, with essentially 1,200 people on the ground. They were governing a couple million square miles and millions of people with 1,200, and they called it indirect rule. And the way it worked, is you control, the British did this intentionally, uh, Lord Luger suggested it, you control the tribal elite, the tribal leaders. You pay them, give them some fake uh, title, and they, they control the underlings for you. And I think that's what's happening, if this is all what's happening. Uh, Bush and people like this, uh, junior and senior, they're clearly not these great intellects. George Bush Jr. was a C student in college. He's a tribal leader. There's someone higher than these guys controlling everything. Right. They're the um, soap salesmen, basically. Yes, yes. And in return for um, keeping the rest of us in line and sabotaging us, these faceless um, – uh, by the way, that's actually called synarchy. Uh, it's when the leaders are controlled by invisible puppet masters. Now, the debate is, who are the puppet masters? They range anywhere from, you have David Icke saying they're reptilians, to you have uh, Carol Quigley, who was one of Quigley, uh, Clinton's professors, of all things. Yes, at Georgetown, yes. Yes, and he quoted him as when he was nominated, which is kind of curious. Uh, Quigley discussed an Anglo-American elite behind all this, again, hidden ones that are not in the news. Uh, and I've always found it curious. The people in the news are, frankly, just these non-entities. They may be rich or they may be celebrities, but they're not really that important. 
different All right, we'll take another time out here, Mark. Uh, we'll come back, and I, I want to talk about uh, the Anglo-American elite, and maybe was Quigley talking about ultimately uh, Adam um, or Cecil Rhodes and these these round tables that he supposedly set up? Uh, is that the root of this uh, power, the, the, the root of this conspiracy, the ultimate secret society? Back with more of our conversation uh, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Happy birthday to you. Hey, Bye. where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Mark Mirabello is with us. Wow, what a, an amazing discussion. And uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, Cecil Rhodes and these round tables, the ultimate secret society, some say, and that Rhodes made uh, untold, uh, an untold fortune, vast uh, wealth from diamonds in South Africa and supposedly um, set up this, well, this round table that uh, was designed to ensure you know, that the British elite would rule the world and uh, these round tables are kind of like secret societies hidden within secret societies, almost like Russian dolls. And and it, was that what Quigley maybe was referring to? Yes, exactly. By the way, I should mention that I was actually nominated for a Rhodes Scholarship and did not get it, so I'm kind of poisoned against it. But uh, uh-huh. this is when I was an undergraduate going to graduate school. But it does seem to be, and by the way, the Rhodes Scholarship is rather curious. As you mentioned his diamond fortune. Uh, uh, oddly enough, the, the boy who was herding goats that found the first huge diamond, his reward was to, he got to keep the goat. Oh. And that's how the real world works. And then others made fortunes, with today's money, billions of dollars. Now, Quigley, um, again, claimed... now. This would be the roundtable group. There's no secret handshakes. They don't go through initiation. According to Quigley, they just recognize a certain elite, and they control what's going on across the world, or at least trying to. Uh, one of Rhodes's uh, goals was to restore the British Empire, although he couldn't have predicted that Winston Churchill would ultimately destroy it uh, because he kept Britain in the war and basically bankrupted it. Um, and, um, of course, if you're in the third world, you, you say this is great because you got your freedom. The British Empire, the French Empire, the Dutch Empire, Portuguese empires are the last to go. Um, but, um, there does seem to be this powerful English speaking, um, uh, originally British. It seems like the Americans are now the senior partners, but some have suggested it's actually the British controlling the Americans. That were just basically reminds me of, of one of those. I guess it was the second, the Mad Max or Road Warrior films, where there's this massive giant 
and he's got a dwarf on his back telling him what to do, who yes, has the brains. Yes. Uh, that's probably what the United States is. Somebody's controlling the America to cause all this mischief around the world. But, sort of the uh, idea that uh, after King George III lost the colony, they've been doing everything they can since then to get it back. And, and um, you know, some look at the, the Kennedy assassination, for example, as uh, as an attempt by the, the British elites to take over the, the executive branch. And by the way, the Kennedy assassination is interesting, too, because um, now, again, again, I'm talking about beliefs, not facts here. I don't want people to think I'm trying to you know, undermine everything here. But um, two presidents have issued money outside the banking system, and both of them were shot in the head in public, Lincoln and Kennedy. Yes. Yes. Uh, that does seem to be a remarkable coincidence. If you go to the Conspiracy Museum down in Dallas, they try to claim he was killed because he was, again, issuing money outside the Federal Reserve System, which he did. And then when Johnson gets in, he got he withdrew that, that currency that Kennedy had issued with executive order. Um, and by the way, LBJ was just an odd, that's an odd character himself. But I'll say, uh, I'll say. Although Kennedy... Now, if we talk about playing with the world, he often seemed like just a frat boy having fun. I mean, he was having about eight or nine mistresses simultaneously while I was in the White House. He's fooling around with Sam Giancana's girlfriend. Now, he was the head of the Chicago mob. Yes, and this who stuffed Judith ballot Campbell boxes for him. <laughs> Sorry? Who supposedly Sorry? stuffed ballot boxes at Joe Kennedy's behest to win Chicago. Yes, exactly. Uh, and by the way, you touch a girlfriend of a, or wife or daughter or sister, or whatever, a mobster, that's the death penalty. And mm. Kennedy was killed with an Italian vintage rifle, which is interesting, ordered by mail, uh, 1995 plus shipping. <laughs> and I mean, it's, um, again, there's just so many people would have been willing to kill Kennedy. Uh, he ordered three weeks before his own death, he had the president of South Vietnam murdered. That's not why um, uh, the guy was a Roman Catholic in a Buddhist country, and he was causing trouble. So the United States decided he had to go, and we killed him and his brother. And then Kennedy is killed uh, three weeks later. Right. Is this connected? So um, uh, all of yeah, these... The, oh, oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was going to say something about Kennedy and that famous speech about, you know, uh, being opposed to secret societies. What was he yeah. referring to in that speech? Some say, I think that was delivered to the National Newspaper uh, Publishers Association. Some say he was talking about communism, but others say he was talking about something uh, something else. Well, by the way, you've really done your research. You know this stuff really well. Of course, you have a TV program and radio, I guess. It makes it, you know your stuff. Uh, Thank you. He was indeed talking to newspaper men. Uh, the Freemasons typically in their work say he was referring to criticizing the CIA and so forth. Although I don't think so. Uh, again, he was kind of naive, Kennedy was. He was a rich kid. Now his father, Joe Kennedy, was a smart one. That's who builds the fortune. And he did so with gangland ties. Mm -hmm. He was involved in various types of gun running and, and prohibition stuff. And he made the fortune. And Joe Jr. was supposed to be the guy who was going to take over with Joe Kennedy, but he's killed as a test pilot in World War II and a horrible death. So they, they dusted off John Kennedy, who was just a partier, and he was the choice. 
uh, for the family. So, but we forget, again, it's really curious because Americans often view the Kennedy families, uh, family as an elite. They're from poor Irish stock. And one of the points that Joe Kennedy Sr. was making was, uh, he wouldn't be invited to Beacon Hill activities and so forth. That's the rich neighborhood of Boston. But now my son can become president and I can become ambassador to, to Britain. So, um, but they're, they're outsiders. That, that could be why he's killed because they're not really. In fact, not only were two of the brothers killed, you, the, you get the, um, there's another type of assassination. Kennedy, Ke- Teddy Kennedy had that. You destroy someone's reputation. And some have suggested the Chappaquiddick was a setup. Because again, right, he had a drinking right. problem. And you just put him in with a pretty girl and have him drive off the bridge. Um, and too bad if the girl dies. Um, but there are ways to assassinate without actually killing someone. Right. I think Watergate was that. Exactly. Watergate was a, exactly. another form of assassination. Uh, and it kind we of, just have a. We haven't touched on um, the nine types that you say. Generally speaking, there are nine types of secret societies. Can we start to go through the, and get to as many of those as we can in the time that remains? Well, it may eat up a lot of time, but what I'm really trying to do with that part, and that'll probably appear in the book, is go through and, and discuss how. See, I'm trying to send the message that everybody seems to think that all secret societies must have certain traits. And I'm trying to discuss how there can be a wide variety of differences. Um, one of the most common questions I would receive often from, from students, and even I get all kinds of emails and in the old days letters. I worked on this group called the Odin Brotherhood I first encountered when I was in Scotland. And people would say, well, if it's a secret society, why have I heard of it? <laughs> well, some groups, are publicly known, and others publicly denied. Uh, for example, the Sicilian Mafia. Originally, it's kind of broken down now, but they would deny that the Mafia even existed. Right. Although everybody in the towns knew who the Mafiosi were. Uh, and, uh, and by the way, they have an interesting way of identifying. We talked about Freemasonic. Uh, one Mafia man would introduce... If he says, this is my friend, it means you're an ordinary person. And if he says to another mafia man, this is our friend, it means you're in the mafia. But mm. if you want to go through <laughs> these, we can. But I was trying to illustrate again how wide the um, uh, the diversity among these groups, some hide in the open, some obscure what they're all about. So it's, it's, it's pretty diverse. Right, right. Uh, and some, you say, uh, the existence of the group is known, but the membership and the objectives of the organization are secret. Uh, and, and the example for that you give is the Hellfire Club. And Benjamin Franklin was a member of the Hellfire Club. They were kind of modeled on, well, uh, I guess this, was, this predates, obviously, Aleister Crowley, but their whole sort of MO seems to be, you know, do what thou will. That is the whole yeah, of the law, yeah. right? If it feels good, do it. Yes, and they took that from Wabalay, uh, the 16th century French writer who wrote a satirical piece. He had a, uh, an abbey that was the model of the Abbey of Telem, do what you will. Now, um, what's interesting about Franklin, um, in the 1990s, I think it was 1999 or 97, they were doing some construction work in London, 
of course, everything in London is an archaeological site, so you need permits. When uh, Franklin was living in London as an ambassador and a diplomat, he lived at a, I can't remember the address number, it was on Craven Street. And they discovered under the house, when they were doing some reconstruction, I think with 10 human corpses. Yes. Um, yes. And six were children. And I was stunned, this was about a year ago, on PBS in America, which is public broadcasting. They were advertising they were going to do a story on this. And I was just stunned, thinking, my God, they're finally going to do serious work. And they spent the whole program trying to blame a surgeon who rented into the house at the same time. Now, the skeletons were dated to the 18th century by forensics. And although that's kind of an educated guess, and if they appeared to be, have been um, uh, surgically cut up, and the the program suggested they were dead bodies, not right. live so bodies. The, right. So but the doctor had hired curious. grave robbers. Oh, it is. It's very and, curious. And uh, is that a commercial break coming there? Yeah, we you 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 uh, you've got that right. We've got the music percolating up, so we'll take a time out, come back, and uh, maybe we can touch on a few of the other types, the nine general types of secret societies. Uh, Mark Mirabello with us. Stay tuned. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. All right. Welcome back. Let's grab a quick call for Mark Mirabello. Melanie is checking in from Toronto. Melanie, good morning. Phenomenal show as usual. Um, What I'd like to say is uh, a lot of these secret societies, is there a possibility that they started out trying to help the helpless uh, citizens of their country or their area where they lived or, you know, whatever. But uh, what happens is that they're infiltrated then by those who see that, okay, these people are set up for good, these secret societies, but then they're infiltrated by evil and they get corrupted and become evil themselves. For example, in government and policing and in in Europe, Eastern Europe, they had what they called the Kozakia, which were in Russia and Ukraine, and they had the flag of Michael the Archangel as their protector. And they were always trying to do good for those that were being, uh, you know, brutalized by the... Uh, by those that were the lords and the princes and, and the tsars. And uh, what is your opinion on that? Do you believe that everything can start out as something good for those that are the underdogs in society and then turn out to be infiltrated by those that seize that power once that group gets trust from the common man? Excellent question, well, what Melanie. What do you think, Mark? Well, in fact, there's a concept in Indo-European religions in general that as things age, they become corrupted. And this, so again, it is a possibility that as the time goes on, they lose track of the original function. Right. Although, uh, and I, again, I want to make it clear, I'm not trying to say that these groups are necessarily evil when we talk about some of these what appear to be sinister. It's, in fact, frankly, the advice I would give anyone who's alarmed by secret societies, rather than be alarmed and attack them, join one. Uh, because the, the whole world is a rigged game. And uh, we like to think that the best person gets the best job, that the best student gets the best scholarship, but that's not how it really works. There mm-hmm. are. Can I just please. ask something? 
quickly. For example, is that why we're seeing a lot of people who are financially uh, stressed, who cannot get the justice in the society that they deserve, while somebody with money does get it? I mean, uh, I was really flabbergasted when you mentioned about, you know, judges and police and belonging to that. I never thought of that. But could that be destroying the country and rotting it from the inside? Don't they realize that they're going to kill the goose that lays the golden egg, which is us, the citizens that work and, and trust them and, and hope that they're going to do the right thing for us? Well, one thing I say in this one book is referred to, Handbook for Rebels and Outlaws, the function of every government ever since the establishment of agriculture and civilizations, not necessarily hunters and gatherers, was to keep people with power in power. Um, now, even though this often impacts the poor uh, and the the powerless, it's it's just the way it's always been from ancient Rome, Babylon, Assyria, Samaria, Egypt, to even modern democracies. Uh, the United States produces 50,000 PhDs a year. Why are the same people getting appointed to cabinet positions over and over and over again? It's like the political uh, again, class constitutes its own secret society. But don't they understand this is rot? This is like a cancer on society. When our governments don't stand up for those that they uh, purport to, to protect, when our police do not hold uh, police accountable for for shooting somebody in the back, oh, I mean, this is cr- causing ac- extreme chaos for everybody. And I believe it's not a color issue, white or black. It's an issue of the heart, as Martin Luther uh, King said. It's an issue of the heart. It's godlessness. It's it's pure evil to allow certain groups to have special privileges. For example, the police can't be sued in Canada after a certain amount of time. You can't hold them responsible. You have to take them to court within six months. How how are these laws? Who's making these laws? Is it the lawyers? Is it the judges? This is absolutely Okay, let's get evil. to... Thank you for the call, Melanie. Mark, have uh, a blessed evening. Thank you. Happy thank Canada you. Day. Bye-bye. Uh, by the way, um, everybody realizes, we've known this for years, that wars impoverish countries. There's no doubt about it. They make them poor. But every war will enrich a small elite who are positioned within the society, either in the politics uh, or in the economy. And that's why we continue to fight wars. Uh, they will enrich somebody. In fact, World War I, which the United States was just briefly involved in, created several thousands of new millionaires. Um, and uh, this is how the real world works. And again, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Another call? No, 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 uh, no. I'm not. Um, we we said goodbye to Melanie. Um, we just have a, a few minutes left, and and I I wanted to touch on some of the other uh, nine types of secret societies, and and one you identify as the second type. You say the group and its membership are public knowledge, but all meetings are private, and its real objectives are camouflaged with platitudes. And you say this describes the Bilderberg Group, the Club of Rome, the Bohemian Grove, and the Trilateral Commission. Uh, the Bilderbergs, of course, uh, every year, you know, they meet at a five-star hotel somewhere. And the, the, the list is a who's who of uh, financiers and industrialists and politicians, uh, you know, the, the, the Queen of the Netherlands, uh, even media moguls are there, even journalists are there, and yet they don't report on what's happening. Um, should we be concerned about the Bilderberg Group? Well, again, um, at one level, I want to say yes, but again, I want to answer that since there's a, 
there was a, a best-selling work published in 18th century Naples on a popular card game and how to win it. And when the first line of the book was, uh, to win at this game, first try to see your opponent's cards. In other words, cheat. Mm. Uh, no matter what we do, if we were to uh, raid the Bilderberg group with police forces and arrest that whole crowd, the Trilateral Commission, all these groups, um, others would replace them. It's the nature of the beast. Uh, people forget that human societies, this is not my idea, show insect-like characteristics. Um, they tend to follow these queen bees, and they follow what they're supposed to be doing. It's sad, but uh, if you try to rebel against the system, like I would not suggest someone going on a campaign to try to burst into a Bohemian Gro- uh, Grove meeting or a Bilderberger meeting, they'll arrest you and prosecute you and they'll throw the book at you. The best thing is is to play the game. Uh, join one yourself. All right, we'll take another time out. One segment remains with Mark Mirabello here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Mark, this might sound like a strange question, but could you do you think you could consider NASA to be a secret society? Uh, you know, some joke that the acronym stands for never a straight answer. And they have all of these cryptic names for space programs and so forth. And some see sort of a dual meaning or an underlying meaning with some of the names, you know, the Apollo program, the Gemini program, etc. What do you think? In fact, oddly enough, an independent researcher named Jody Freeman just asked me a question recently, so it's synchronicity on this particular issue. Um, the whole American and, frankly, general space programs, they have so many curiosities about them. They, there seems to be something going on. Um, and I, I'll almost certainly discuss this in, in the forthcoming book. Um, the, um, and the problem is, for example, the United States has two space programs. Most people don't realize the more important one is run by the Air Force. They launch in California. That's where all the secret satellites go up. Um, and another interesting point on all this is we've known since the 1950s that anyone who controls the moon controls the planet Earth. Because if you send a nuclear warhead towards the moon, it could be easily intercepted, and you need a sort of Saturn V-sized rocket to get it there. But if you're on the moon, you could actually launch rocks from the moon, the escape velocity is only about 6,000 miles per hour because there's no atmosphere, no friction, weaker gravity, and they could launch rocks with rockets and pummel a city anywhere on the planet. So mm. whoever controls the moon controls Earth. Um, there's something going on there. Uh, oh, sorry. You, no, I was just going to ask you, this is something very curious that you point out, and that is that Area 51 is the size of Jamaica. What's that all about? Yes, there's another mystery. Is uh, Whenever they discuss in the popular media any significant issue, they always leave out the most intriguing part of the story. Why is that so large? Um, and they do this with every issue that's been uh, revealed. Uh, everyone's heard a million times about Nagasaki, 
how many people realize that the plutonium that destroyed Nagasaki was three inches in diameter? Mm-hmm. That's how horrible wow. these weapons are. You, know, you could you could smuggle a warhead that could destroy a city in a lead suitcase with diplomatic uh, passports. Diplomatic passports allow means they can't be searched. Right. Uh, we're watching the sky for nuclear North Korea uh, missiles coming in. That's ridiculous. They could smuggle stuff more easily. Now, right. again, Area 51 becomes the center of anywhere from their aliens there uh, to um, top-secret weapons. Um, it's, a, it's a mystery of what exactly is going on. Um, it's completely independent of regular American law. The, they cannot be... Oh, here's the most interesting part. If you, they'll arrest you and even shoot you if you try to penetrate it. But notice, they don't use federal officers to guard it. They hire mm. private security. And there's a reason for that. Um, there are, the American Constitution restricts what police forces can do. There's no restriction on what a private security guard can do in the American Constitution. Ah, and why so, the size of Jamaica? That's a good question. I don't really have the answer. It just strikes okay. me as unbelievable that it's that large. Uh, it, it indicates there's something more going on there than we think. Uh, and as to what it is, um, I'm not certain. All right. Let's grab a call here. David is calling from Vermont. David, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good morning. Yeah. Hi, hi Richard. Hi, Mr. Mirabella. Yeah, I used to live near uh, the tomb of uh, Skull and Bones uh, in New Haven, Connecticut. I live not too far, work not too far from there. What is the protocols of that? place, uh, the Skull and Bones Society? What is their final uh, agenda? Again, it's not altogether clear. Uh, it's interesting there are no windows on the building. Yeah. We do know that Skull and Bones is, is heavily endowed. Uh, in fact, when members join, they receive money, even though they're wealthy, and the legend is a grandfather clock. But what the agenda is, I think it's just about a select group of families wanting to uh, control what's going on. Uh, Wilbur Mills uh, wrote a work from the 1950s, but it's not dated, called The Power Elite. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how the, and he says there's one on the East Coast of the United States and one on the West Coast, with the East Coast most significant. The, the elite, they all get law degrees, typically. Yeah. They have, they're appointed to boards of trustees and hospitals, businesses, universities, mm-hmm. the same people. And again, it's all about wealth and power. And um, right. do you believe that some of these people are, um, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, of reptilians? Well, again, that's a David Icke idea, who's a well-known British conspiracy theorist. Yeah, I've, I've uh, heard of him, yeah. Uh, and in fact, there's two spins on that. One is uh, Icke claims that they're um, from another world, and they've inbred with humans producing hybrids. Uh, there's another theory has been proposed that, in fact, that the dinosaurs, sounds rather curious, never died out, continued to evolve, and now they basically can shape shift and have telepathic abilities. Um, um, it is curious. Just one uh, more quick question, people... if I can. Yeah, just a quickie, if I can, sir. I appreciate it. Um, is it true that we've been to Mars, and uh, is that a true story? Well, again, that reminds me of another conspiracy theory called Alternative 3, which first popped up in the 1970s. 
And alternative three is that the ruling elite has known for decades that the planet is doomed, um, that we're all going to die. And alternative mm-hmm. one was they tried nuclear testing in the atmosphere to somehow change conditions to save the planet, yeah. but it failed. Alternative two was they constructed tunnels for to like like basically Noah's Ark in the ground, or the yeah. similar story you find in Iranian legend of how they built an underground shelter when there was a freeze in Iranian religion before pre-Muslim Zoroastrianism, and that failed. By the way, that could be what's going on at, at um, Area 51, all kinds of tunnels. And then alternative three is they've constructed bases on the moon and in Mars to remove certain people from the planet. Uh, now, if they indeed knew the planet was doomed, that's exactly what they would do. Mm-hmm. They would keep the general population entertained, and then they would selectively remove people. Now, as long ago as the 1950s, there was a, they, you can actually read about it, there was a proposed spaceship called Orion, which is odd because they've used the same name the future craft, it would be powered by roughly 2,000 nuclear warheads and could carry 160 people to Mars at a time. It'd be the All right, Dave, ship. David, thank you for the call. Uh, we you, are Richard. sadly out of Thank you. Mark, yeah. we're out of time. We're going to have to have you back on. So fascinating. Uh, give us a website where we can uh, learn more about you. Yes, it's www.mark, M-A-R-K, Mirabello, M I R A B as in boy, E L L O.com. Mark Mirabello.com. Mark, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for hanging out for two hours. We'll do it again soon. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm, again, sorry I tend to run on a lot. but It's, it's all good uh, stuff. Verbal it's dialogue. all good stuff. Oh, I wish we had okay, four hours. All right, my friend. Thank you. Thanks to uh, Owen and Ryan. Back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. We're coming home. Good night. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio 
AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. Happy Canada Day. 152 years young. Uh, The boys and I stocked up on fireworks earlier today and tomorrow... Around sundown, we'll head over to a a park very close to our house and celebrate this great country's birthday in style. Uh, And in just a few days from now, another birthday, the United States of America will turn 243. So they have a few years on us. Two friendly neighbors living in peace, both strong and free and prosperous. Now that's worth celebrating. Owen Wolf is my technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer and we are streaming live on the youtube channel strange planet before we dive into our uh, two-hour discussion on secret societies it's time for our monthly draw for strange planet merchandise awarded to one of my patreon supporters and this month's winner of my uh, cd collection of strange planet my radio feature volume two is Karen of Loma Linda, California. Congrats, Karen. I'll put that CD in the post this week. Now, if you want to become eligible for the monthly draw or eligible for exclusive monthly online chats and video hangouts on air with me, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet and consider becoming an official supporter. Tonight, an author, lecturer, and professor of history joins me to delve into secret societies. Over the course of the next two hours, he'll discuss the nine different types of secret societies and how these groups transmit secret messages through the media using coded texts and pictures. A secret society is a society whose membership, proceedings, or teachings are secret concealed from non-members or otherwise not open to the general public. Secret societies typically accept new members only by initiation rituals, which frequently bind the initiate by various oaths not to reveal the secrets of the society to non-members. The initiations are sometimes multiplied so that there are a variety or degrees or additional credentials that the members can achieve or progress through. These may take the form of an inner circle or group of adepts or the elect sharing further secrets that are not communicated to other members. Secret handshakes, passwords, and other symbols are taught to the initiates to enable them to be recognized by others without giving away the secret. Mark Mirabello is an author and a professor of history at Shawnee State University. He served as a visiting professor of history at Nizhny Novgorod University in Russia. He's appeared on the History Channel discussing deadly cults in the series called Ancient Aliens and in America's Book of Secrets. And he's appeared with Professor Noam Chomsky in M.A. Littler's Maverick film on freedom, The Kingdom of Survival. Mark's area of expertise is the outlaw history on the frontiers and margins of human civilization. 
He lectures on death and afterlife concepts, alternative religions and cults, secret societies, terrorism and crime, banned books, fascist Europe and Nazi Germany, myths and legends, intellectual history and other subjects. Mark has a PhD from the University of Glasgow, Scotland, and an NMA from the University of Virginia. He is the author of A Traveler's Guide to the Afterlife, Traditions and Beliefs on Death, Dying, and What Lies Beneath, Handbook for Rebels and Outlaws, Resisting Tyrants, Hangmen, and Priests, The Odin Brotherhood, and his latest project, as yet unpublished, is Secret Societies and Conspiracies. That's the working title. A great pleasure to welcome Mark Mirabello to The Conspiracy Show. Hey, Mark, how are you? Well, thank you for the wonderful introduction. By the way, right off the top, I want to thank Mark Eddy for making this possible. Also, could I say, uh, I always love radio as a historian because our voices are now traveling at the speed of light into space, and I like to, historians always like immortality. I like to imagine that someday, centuries from now, some alien will tune in and hear what we have to say. Kind of a little fantasy there. And also, <laughs> happy Canada Day. Uh, by the yes, way, which reminds me, too, because one of the things we'll be talking about is how history, official history, is altered. And uh, very few Americans realize that um, America actually attacked Canada twice, once during the Revolution, one during the, once during the War of 1812, and we were repulsed both times. That tends to be obscured in our history texts. Another point uh-huh. they tend to obscure, if the Americans had lost the Revolution... Uh, slaves would have been freed in the 1830s instead of the 1860s. So in some respects, it was a mistake. I sound like H.P. Lovecraft, the horror writer. He he used to regret that the Americans lost the revolution. But uh, Canada turned out all right. Uh, There were 18 North American colonies. Five did not revolt, and you fellows up there did a good job. So again, thank (laughs) you for the opportunity. (laughs) Again, a real pleasure to be here. My, my pleasure. Uh, a comedian uh, lawyer friend of mine, uh, an acquaintance, I should say, it's been many years since I've seen him, but he, he summed up the difference between America and Canada this way. Uh, you shot your parents and we still send money home. <laughs> uh, that reminds me, too, of the late Robin Williams, the comic who sadly uh, died. He once described, I heard him live, or at least on a program, saying that uh, he described Canada as a really, really, really nice family living uh, above a biker bar. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, I love our neighbors to the south. They're our cousins, really. Uh, Speaking of, um, you know, conspiracies and and, uh, um, secret societies, obviously this is an area that's just ripe with speculation. Uh, you know, it's very difficult to find a particular document or the smoking gun and so forth. But you you say that when you're teaching this material in a class or when you're discussing it on the radio as tonight, your approach is you deal in beliefs rather than facts, because usually people like to say it's the other way around. But you've kind of turned that around. Just explain that a little bit. It's beliefs, not facts that you deal in. Yes. In our, in our earlier email communication, I mentioned there was this Chinese leader, Hong Zai Quinn lived in the 19th century, and he believed that he was actually the younger brother of Jesus, the Messiah. And uh, most Westerners would reject this. I remember Professor Ferguson referred to it as he was teaching a mutated form of Christianity. But whether or not that was true or false, 
as many as 70 million people died in the war that this caused in China, uh, mostly because a lot of Westerners got involved as well as the Japanese, which is why so many died in the 19th century. So something doesn't have to be true to have enormous influence on human race and on history. And in fact, you mentioned that um, in the introduction that I teach a course on myths and legends. And uh, I point out that actually a lot of what we teach and even ac- other academic disciplines are actually myths. For example, uh, Professor Hidalgo, who's an economist, is an economist, pointed out that uh, realize every time we have these, these uh, the economy has to keep growing and they'll say it's stagnant if we're in a recession or it's a depression or we're booming. Endless growth is a ridiculous concept. It cannot go on forever. In fact, historians estimate that the economies really didn't start to grow to, uh, for most of human history until about 1800 because of the Industrial Revolution altered and create these huge chasms between uh, the third world and the developed world. In fact, the standard of a living in Africa in 1750 was roughly what it was in England in 1750. And we forget this. And in fact, the modern economies have created this notion of endless growth, which is impossible. And by the way, regarding ethnic economic myths as well, we try to bring the world up to this first world standard. Uh, United, if everyone on planet Earth lived at American standard of living, we would need three planets the size of planet Earth because we consume resources in such a really incredible way. And so, again, mythology is found all over the place. And this is why reputable historians tend to shy away from secret societies, uh, because they're trying to prove like what really happened. Uh, the Freemasons have the core legend of the murder of Hiram by three ruffians. And a modern historian will say, well, that probably didn't happen during the construction of the Temple of Solomon. Um, and by the way, for the record, if you look at modern archaeology, we're not certain there really was, this would sound odd, a Temple of Solomon. There was in later times, time of Jesus, there was the temple there. In fact, Herod expanded it. Right, the second was- temple, which was destroyed by the Romans. Yes, yes. And by the way, most Christians don't realize when they go there and look at it and, and pray they're looking at something that was built by Herod, who actually thought he was the Messiah. This is often airbrushed out of history books, because he was of the line of David. And the idea of the Jewish Messiah is that someone from the line of David would become king of Israel. And he was a flunky of the Romans, but he was king, line of David. So that story of the massacre of the innocents in the Gospels, that's actually probably happened, because he thought these were people challenging Right, uh, so again, uh, the first temple probably was maybe some little structure. Um, in later retellings, it's this uh, uh, sort of impressive structure made out of stone. And by the way, it's interesting there, too, because this ties into Freemasonry. No iron was used in the construction of the temple. Yes, we'll, we'll talk about why that was, because that's... Yeah, continue. Yeah, I was going to pursue that a little bit later, but since you're on the subject, okay. what is it about? Is what is it about not using iron in 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 Masonic rituals? Well, we also find this in skull and bones. Uh, they're not supposed to have any metal on them during the initiation. That's the infamous, if I may call it, the Yale Secret Society. Uh, oddly enough, we find it in other contexts. There's a 
religion, probably better known in Canada and in France than in the United States, the Raelian movement, which yes. claims contact with extraterrestrials. And uh, uh, Rail, who's the person who claimed he had the contact, um, he said that after his first contact with, he claimed Yahweh, it was actually an extraterrestrial, he was told to return the next day and in future times without having any metal. Now, we find this idea, metal is taboo, in traditional religions. Uh, it's a really widespread notion, and uh, Professor Eliade, the great religious historian, refers to it, and he thinks Eliade thought it's probably true, uh, at least a good guess, um, that um, it represented new and curious technology. And, and typically, uh, traditional peoples are conservative, and something that's new is frightening. And uh, the Greeks had a legend that they first learned how to work metals when there was a great volcanic eruption, and they saw liquefied metals running down um, the side of a mountain. Which reminds me, I remember when I was in grade school, there was a house down the street that burned. It had aluminum siding on it. And I remember as a sixth grader watching the aluminum melt and run down the side of the house, which when you're a sixth grade boy, that's really cool. <laughs> sure. You know, now, sure. I, now I'd be alarmed by it. But, um, and there's this core, and incidentally, it's also a widespread notion that uh, metal workers, the smiths, if you will, are a fearsome but respected occupation. And they're often lame in the legends, like Hephaestus in Greek lore. Right, right. Yes. Um, and we think they were probably intentionally uh, disabled. They had their legs uh, injured um, because they had such a valuable craft. And incidentally, in Japanese tradition, among the samurai, a maker of an excellent sword is superior to a samurai fighter. Uh, usually, for example, in medieval France, the craftsman would be rated below the knight. The warrior, so it, right. it shows this this power. Um, now, again, as I said, because your original question, I don't mean to, to make a circle here, uh, but you can see how uh, it gets really vague. If we try, too many historians do this. They try to establish what is really happened in the past, and that serves a value. But you know, we have this current phrase, "false news." I don't know why they're using this because almost everything you're hearing. Typically, for hundreds of years, and reading is falsified at some level. Um, speaking of which, uh, mind you, because we're talking Canada earlier, King Alfred plan. I bet a lot of people haven't heard of that. It's a conspiracy theory, and frankly, it has secret society connotations. I don't know if you've heard this one. It's quite obscure. That the uh, you know we're talking now about global warming. Well, the King Alfred plan, which dates back to the 1960s, claimed that it's, it circulates mainly among American, African Americans, that the Europe, United States, and Japan have known for years that the ice age is returning. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. We're not warming. We're going back to an ice age. And that Canada, most of the United States, most of Europe, Russia, and of course Japan will be under a couple thousand feet of ice. And that the uh, so-called first world is selectively exterminating people at the equator. Those would be the only areas we could move to, uh, roughly the equator. And what, that we're intentionally spreading uh, economic disruption, 
AIDS, Ebola disease, and so on and so forth. So, sorry, I tend to, uh, sorry for the verbal diarrhea here. That's all right. I just uh, want to go back to a, a lot of things happening here. I want to just pick up on a few threads. And one of them was just going back to the iron workers and how, uh, the metal workers and how they were uh, so skilled and so valued that they they deliberately maimed them? Was that the idea? So they couldn't run away? They couldn't leave? Is that yes. the idea? Yes. Uh, keep Fascin- them uh, captive. Um, by the way, we often find that a um, valuable servile race is, or group of people, I'm using race in the 19th century, not like color, uh, is intentionally disabled. Um, the Scythian people, who were uh, European stock in South Ukraine, Russia, in the ancient world, they blinded all their slaves. We also have the tradition of the Amazons that, by the way, uh, bear no resemblance to the uh, Marvel Wonder Woman, DC <laughs> comic Wonder Woman. Right. Um, they had um, the only. It was a complete. Now it, I should all. There's a classic example of myth and history uh, for centuries. Um, historians taught that that was all just a myth. Even though the Greeks actually said the Amazons existed, it was a female-dominated warrior culture, and uh, they said that for an Amazon to reproduce the woman, she had to first kill a man, and then she would go to the borders a certain time of the year and randomly mate with people that showed up at random, so to speak, uh, when I discuss this in class, I always say that still happens at the West Virginia-Kentucky border. But it's oh, dear. Inserted joke there. Um, but they killed most of the male offspring that were born um, and, and in the legends. But the men who were kept alive were enslaved, uh, kind of reverse handmaid's tale, and they disabled them. They cut their ligaments, made their arms and legs weak. So this notion of, and of course you have the Huxley Brave New World, where he has the classes, uh, There's and then the lowest class, which would be the, lab, the laborers, they're deprived of oxygen during the fetal stage, and it causes mental deficiency, so they become a slave class. Um, and um, this is, again, not an uncommon idea. In the case of the iron workers, though, they would be a especially valuable class, uh, which is this, they're disabled so they can't uh, uh, flee, uh, which reminds me, for the longest time, uh, Venice was famous, the Serene Republic of Venice, as it's called, or Duchy, for their mirrors. And they used to not only give uh, mere craftsmen noble status, they were not allowed to leave Venice. Uh, eventually the Flemings and the Dane and the um, Dutch stole the secrets of how the Venetians were able to make these mirrors. Most of your listeners probably don't realize that until recent times, um, ordinary people had really no idea what they looked like because the, um, they had these really bizarre, ill-shaped mirrors and they would distort, it'd be like a funhouse mirror. And a mirror in the 17th century was a gift for a queen or a duchess. Uh, they were so finely crafted, and that's why when Louis XIV built the Hall of Mirrors in Versailles, it was really stunning at the time and expensive. So, right, uh, right. yeah, this idea of disabling your skillful people is, is, is widespread. 
And incidentally, we're take a, tends to we'll be, take a time out here in, in just a moment, but uh, I want to circle back to the, the the formation of the first secret societies. Did, uh, and we've got about a minute here, but did most secret societies originate wi- within a sort of a skilled fraternity, whether they were stone cutters or whether they were uh, some sort of a, a like a metal smith? Is that where most secret societies sprang forth from? Well, in fact, that's what is the modern assumption. After the break, I'll mention how they're prehistorical. Uh, long before there were civilizations, there were secret societies. So I guess All when right. we come back, I'll mention that. Absolutely. We will pick that up on the other side. Mark Mirabello, my guest for the full two hours as we discuss secret societies right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. Professor Mark Mirabello is with us for the entire show, for the full two hours, and we're diving deep into secret societies. Before the break, I asked you about the formation of the first secret societies, and my uh, feeling was that that they had formed out of these fraternities, uh, stonemasons or smiths, uh, and... uh, you said that they actually predate that, that they go back to before even modern or before the before civilization. They're prehistoric. Explain what you mean by that. Yes. Uh, by the way, uh, in the West, since the Freemasons are so uh, powerful, I mean, well known, celebrated, it tends to distort the, the narrative. Everyone assumes that they're the sort of template for all of this. Uh, in fact, we find among so-called traditional peoples, uh, secret societies. Uh, and they're very, they, they've been going on for who knows how long. Now, I should mention the human race has spent 99%, 99-plus percent of its existence as hunters and gatherers. Uh, farming only starts about 10,000 years ago. It's going to dramatically alter the human race where it spreads. Now, the, we find a widespread myth, and here I'm plagiarizing the late, great Joseph Campbell, professor. Uh, we find this widespread myth in Aboriginal Australia, and also, for example, in Patagonia, in South America, among other places. And it mentions, uh, and, and by the way, boys learn it during puberty rituals. Uh, little boys, before they become men, and traditional societies claim that uh, until you go through puberty, you're not a, ma- a man, you're basically with the women and children. And they're told a secret, and the secret is, long, long ago, uh, and it's the same form we find across the globe. Women once dominated through their magic, they controlled death and sickness. And the men conspired against them, and they killed every female above uh, puberty age. So they killed basically everybody under, let's say, 12, 13, whenever puberty occurred in this particular culture. It varies over time. And the reason they killed him at that age is because in the traditions, the women learned magic as part of their puberty rituals. When they had their first menstruation, they were taught the ancient lore by the old women. The post-menstrual women taught the young, new women what the uh, power of magic was. And the men, the adult men, tell these boys that they once controlled us, but we killed them. And then we kept the little girls ignorant, so they grew up not realizing their magic. And then to protect our male power, we formed a secret society. 
they use a different term for, but that's what they're doing. Because we find these, uh, and incidentally, in traditional cultures, and again, I'm going back to Professor Eliade on this, um, they're all, they have female secret societies, but secret societies are predominantly male, overwhelmingly, and they are gender exclusive. Uh, in fact, in our modern non-gender culture, we're trying to integrate everything. It's, it's, it's really going to be a disaster in secret society because you can't, uh, <laughs> male, male secret societies are so different than female. For example, back to the Masons, you have the Eastern Star, which is for a female secret society associated with the yes. Masons. The women hold candles and they wear translucent veils and they talk about how they will love and support one another. The men, meanwhile, in Freemasonic rituals, it depends on what level you're at, but for example, the Royal Archmason level, which is quite high, say that if I betray this oath, the top of my head will be sawed off and my brains will be exposed to the sun. <laughs> yes. uh, male secret societies will involve often humiliation, nudity, ordeals, of some often horrific ordeals. Now, again, there are exceptions uh, where you see uh, some female organizations that have some difficult ordeals, but by and large, women don't really, this is really curious, because at one level, they've often silently suffered oppression in some cultures, yet in the modern era, if you start doing weird ordeals to women, they're going to basically blow the whistle on you. Uh, right. I don't know if right. it's made the Canadian news, but and I don't, I'm not going to talk about it in my book, but the Nexium movement that was in the United States is supposed to be a female empowerment movement. It's, they're actually the leaders on trial right now in the United States. Uh, it was led by a male and some prominent women, including a woman to the Brofman family, the well-known Seagram Whiskey clan up there. Ah, uh, yes, yes, now I do remember and, this story. Um, she actually turned over and basically cited, you know, said, Plug Yoli and I'll, I'll, I'll cooperate. But uh, the leader, who's a male, they had an inner secret society in the Nexium group, and it involved branding the body of an elite group mm. of women, and they apparently involve some kind of sexual activity. And now the American press and the American federal government's turning this into, uh, like, oh my God, this is a, you know, a horror show. This kind of stuff, branding, nudity, uh, sex, occurs, um, in all kinds of, uh, secret societies. And I think the general public doesn't realize it. In fact, I think the, traditional secret society we know is going to uh, disappear in the West, at least, because um, um, everything is now, uh, you get too many whistleblowers. Um, people don't want to, including the males. Um, but, you know, the even the mafia is becoming compromised. It's kind of hilarious. Um, the West has become so corrupt. The United States um, corrupted the Sicilian mob. They couldn't follow the rules. <laughs> the West, anymore. right? The the uh, for example of Omerta, which is means roughly manhood and silence, and you're never supposed to cooperate with the authorities against your blood brothers in the in the mafia. And we have, in the case of the United States, and also now even in Italy, a couple thousand people have turned state's evidence. Um, which, by the way, reminds me of a joke I always use uh, since I've a last Italian last name, whenever anybody asks me what I'm, because Shawnee State University is a small school and a relatively isolated area, and they'll say, well, how did you come to Shawnee State? And I'll just, I'm joking, of course, but I'll say, 
witness protection program. They'll never find me here. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Here, I want to go back to I want to go back to that the that that myth from Aboriginal Australia and also Patagonia, South America. Uh, how do you suppose that got started? I mean, there often there is a kernel of truth behind these myths. To tell the truth, I suspect what we know about traditional cultures, uh, they probably were initially, and that's what sound curious, afraid of women's power um, because it was so magical to them. How does a baby emerge from the womb? Now, uh, uh, another point I should mention is this is kind of shocking to most modern people, and I even notice professors don't seem to even often know this. Um, it was discovered by Malinowski in the late 19th century. He was in Melanesia, which is, of course, Aboriginal Australia is part of Melanesia. And he was stunned to learn that the people there didn't realize that men played a role in reproduction. Uh, traditional cultures tend to be really promiscuous, and they didn't realize that a male uh, having sex with a woman would produce a child. Uh, they just um, thought that somehow this happened, and it was a magical process. And I think that now this gets really curious. Like you think, well, how can they figure this out? But if everybody's promiscuous, having sex all the time, um, and uh, you, they just don't make the connection. Uh, and by the way, in uh, the area in New Guinea where Malinowski was working, they actually didn't even have a word in the language for a father. And um, he noticed that um, uncles bonded with nephews and nieces, but fathers had nothing to do with when they were married to a woman. They had nothing to do with the children. The uncles hmm. were involved with it. And at first this kind of mystified him, and then until he discovered they didn't realize they were related. And they thought the nephews thought they were related to the uncle through the mother, because the mother was the sister of the uncle. So I, I have a feeling this is a true, there's an element of truth in it, that women once dominated at a certain level. Um, and I, it's because of the fear of the supernatural. We tend to think, because we're such a secular culture, that it all comes down to who has the better spear and club is going to dominate. Well, first of all, hunters and gatherers are very egalitarian. They, they have no, there's no tyrant among hunters and gatherers. Uh, they tend to be everybody participates in the decisions, although, again, the older men will tend to sway some of the things. But uh, magic in traditional cultures is often a, a strictly female function. Indeed, uh, in Norse legend, which is quite late, medieval Iceland, Scandinavia, they have these really powerful men, fighters. But when the men want supernatural information, there'll be these tales in the sagas where these powerful men sort of kneel down, sit down around this old woman. And by the way, the older, the better. She'll have long gray hair. She'll sit on some elevated chair, and she will throw the runes. These are pieces of wood with writing on them onto the ground and read the future. And there's a sense of uh, power here. Which reminds me, too, among the Romans, there are the Vestal Virgins who guarded, there's a sacred treasure in ancient Rome called the Palladium. And wherever the Palladium was, that city would never fall. It would, it would rule. 
And the story was that Aeneas, the legendary connection with Rome, that he was a Trojan, son of Aphrodite. He fled Troy when it fell and carried the Palladium to Italy. And it was guarded by the Vestral Virgins, who, and by the way, you may say, well, why did Troy fall if they had the Palladium? Well, in the story, uh, a couple of Greeks, Odysseus and Diomedes, stole the Palladium. And that's how, but of course, Aeneas ah. stole it back. And then it goes to we Italy. Have to, Mark, sorry, we and, have to take a time out here. We've got to we, we've got to run to a break here. We'll come back and pick that up. But I want to get back to the Masons if we can. Mark Mirabello, okay. my guest. We're discussing secret <laughs> societies right here on The Conspiracy Show. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. And welcome back. And we are privileged to have Professor Mark Mirabello with us for the full two hours uh, delving into secret societies, the origin of secret societies, the nine different types, as we'll uh, discuss as well. Uh, now, the Masons, how did they how did they begin and when? Well, and by the way, sorry, I tend, I tend to go off on script and keep going on and on. So I try to give it tighter. Now, the, there's the official history, and then there's the legendary history. Um, in some traditions, they go back to Hiram and the construction of the Temple of Solomon uh, uh, several centuries before the time of Christ. Uh, historians tend to think that the official ma- that the Masons only began either in the uh, 18th century, around 1720s, to perhaps as early as the 17th century. And and what was the purpose uh, of of forming? I mean, it's one thing to have a fraternity of of skilled workers, like you know the local union and so forth. But but then why the why the secrecy? Why the secret handshakes? Why the oaths? Well, in fact, um, frankly, most secret societies are kind of misunderstood. They're they're fundamentally about power, and. Um, uh, and this power works through what's called within-group altruism. For example, if I'm going to a job interview and I'm a Freemason, the handshake I give the interviewer, also the way I stand in the room, how my feet are positioned, also various gestures I make with my hands and various words I use can indicate to the interviewer that I'm a Freemason, a fellow brother. And in the oaths they swear, uh, you must prefer a Freemason, a brother, above others. So if two people equally qualified, they say equally, but almost certainly even an unqualified person will get the job in some respects. If you see a Freemason is one of the candidates and a um, non-Freemason is applying, you'll give it to the Freemason. Um, and again, not to go on, but this even works in trials. Um, a defendant can actually flash a Freemasonic gesture, hoping that there's a Freemason on the jury, or a Freemason that's the prosecuting attorney, or the judge. And um, you're supposed to vote in his favor. Now, in the first three levels, um, you're, they exempt murder and treason. So if a person's on trial for murder, and he flashes, for example, there's the, uh, uh, there's a sign of distress, which is given with the hands. Um, they say, well, if he's a murderer, you don't have to support him. But in upper levels, such as royal arch masonry, you're supposed to support him in everything, including murder. That's, again, not well known, and they don't talk about it, but it's a brotherhood. 
there's a within group altruism, and uh, right. that's the key to success. And the the idea that that Masons, when they take these oaths and so forth, they're actually they're they're praying to Lucifer. Uh, is that is that true, or is that mere is that mere uh, legend? Well, in fact, that comes back to Albert Pike, who was not only yes. a Confederate officer, uh, he was also a prominent scholar of Freemasonry in the 19th century. Uh, and for the record, it shows how Freemasonry works. Recently, in the United States, we've had literally mobs tearing down Confederate statues. Mm-hmm. When a mob went after Albert Pike's statue, which is in Washington, he's the only Confederate leader with a statue in Washington, D.C., because they lost the war. All right. the other Confederate statues were in the South. The mob went after it, but the statue's still there, and suddenly it disappeared from the news. Uh, the New York Times covered that there were people demanding the removal of Albert Pike's statue, but um, what happened was he's a Freemason, and Freemasons squelched it. Um, again, you, you defend your brother at all costs. Uh, people don't realize Santa Ana, who was the president of Mexico during the Texas Revolution when Texas seceded, he was a Freemason, and he gave to Sam Houston the Freemasonic uh, sign of distress. That's why he wasn't killed. Uh, the Mexicans had massacred, had killed POWs among the Texans, because they were viewed as rebels and traitors. They were revolting from Mexico's authority. But uh, Santa Ana, his life was spared. And again, this is how it works. It's uh, it's power. And if you are in these groups, they will protect you. And they also will foster your career. Right. I mean, that it was almost like, you know, as, you, as you're trying to get on your feet, get a career going, it was like, you know, you, you needed to become a member of the Chamber of Commerce. But if you wanted to become, get into the fire department, into the police department, you had to become a Mason. What about this idea that the United States itself is a Masonic plot and Washington, D.C. is is in fact laid out in, a, in the shape of a Masonic compass? Well, by the way, uh, it occurs to me I'm doing this quite a bit. I didn't really answer your Lucifer question. Uh, there is a reference in Pike's writing to that the Masons are dedicated to the Lord of Light. See, that's what Lucifer means. Uh, but the trouble is, it gets confused because um, a lot of pagan ideas have been flipped. What used to be good now becomes evil. And so Lucifer is originally a symbol of knowledge and illumination. And, of course, Lucifer also is involved in the legendary, well, actually the real, Illuminati in the uh, 18th century. And the Illuminati yes. are allegedly connected with the Freemasons. They were within it like a parasite. And then going back to your question, the number of Freemasons among the so-called Founding Fathers uh, was quite substantial. There's controversies over uh, which people were the Freemasons and who joined later, but there's no doubt that the rebellion was um, hatched, if you will, in lodges um, that uh, meeting secretly. Now, once again, we're running into the problem with airbrushed history. Because the Founding Fathers won... They're depicted as these really wise, enlightened characters. But at the time, uh, in fact, no minister of significance in America was 99% Protestant at the time, so I'll just use the term minister, supported the revolution because Paul 
says very clearly that you must support the established powers. Also, I've got to jump in here again, Mark. Pardon the interruption. We'll take a quick time out, come back and pick up on the Founding Fathers and the Masons. Mark Mirabello talking secret societies right here on The Conspiracy Show. Happy birthday to you. Hey, Bye. where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.